Welcome to Jason and the Movie Knots. I'm Jason Sachs. And I just want to enter my house justified. Justified. That's my friend Keith Silva. <laughs> We're talking about the films of Sam Peckinpah today, specifically focusing on Ride the High Country and Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, and a bit less on Ballad of Cable Hogue. I think we'll probably end up talking about that a lot. And his career in, in general. Yes, because Peckinpah movie and the Western movie genre. So if yes. you don't want to have Western spoiled, stop now. Spoiled's a good word for it. <laughs> or revised or yes, deconstructed. Yes, yes, yes. Because these are just as like deconstructivist as like the, the Leone films as, you know, Unforgiven. These are very much like playing with the forms of the Western. Mm. And themes of the Western. Yeah. And sort of turning them on their heads. I know you were surprised when I mentioned that Ride the High Country, which uh, so a little bit of context. Ride the High Country is his first film, came out in 1962, uh, stars a couple of actors who've been around forever, Joel McRae and Rand Randolph Scott. Um, McRae uh, has been a, a done movies since the 1930s, in fact. He was in Alfred Hitchcock's Foreign Correspondent. Um he was, uh, oh my God, I, Sullivan's Travels, of course. He's brilliant in Sullivan's Travels, which is just an absolutely wonderful film. Um, and then Randy Scott uh, was a classic Western actor, uh, possibly notoriously Cary Grant's lover, or at least Cary Grant's best friend, very much open to uh, question. And, and I think that's kind of awesome. Um, Babylon on Jason and the Movie Knots. I love it. <laughs> Uh, he was a handsome man. Um, and so this movie is really, you know, uh, both of them had their high points in their careers, maybe 10, 15 years earlier. And so in a lot of ways, this is a commentary on them as men who were kind of a little bit past their prime, who were kind of dealing with um, the legacies of what they are, who they became, um, and and kind of trying to find some sort of resolution to uh who they are um you you're always so much better at me than at quoting lines back but uh, i love the line where he talks about you know if we had a if we had a dollar for every bullet that was shot at us we'd be millionaires although he says it in a much more elegant way right right yeah i think one of the things that's interesting about if you know anything about bloody sam peckinpah um and then you watch ride the high country you're like oh this is kind of boring and slow and like a like just you know two it's a cowboy movie you know it's a cowboy movie or a cowboy show Randolph Scott and uh, Joel McRae were obviously in every fifties and sixties cowboy TV show you know as guest stars or had their own series or whatever and then Peckinpah comes along and um, this is his first movie and it's great I mean that's the other thing too is you watch Ride the High Country um, at least from my perspective. You watch this movie and you're like, yeah, that's a that's a pretty good western, right? It's a good cowboy movie. It's cowboys and they save a girl and there's a young fella in it and you know there's some bad guys and there's shootouts and horses. It's all good, you know. And the but landscape then, is gorgeous, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you start to think about it a little bit more and it rewatch it or you know start to think about what's going on here and you're like oh there's a lot going on there's a lot of themes there's a lot of ideas that are sort of like i said turned on their head uh in in ride the high country and then by the time you get to pat garrett pat garrett and billy the kid all those themes that were in the background that were subtext are all text now yeah 
Well, and it is kind of this proto-revisionist Western. Yeah, yeah. Right, right because um, yep. first of all, it's in commentary to itself in the same way that Once Upon a Time in the West is in commentary to the to everything that happened before it, right? The characters, the actors are specifically chosen to reflect back on what your preconceptions are. Right. In the same way, not to, we'll probably call on this film several times, but the same way that um, having Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven allows you to think of this film in a larger right. way. It's actually why, it's my favorite theory about why movie stars are important because you can see them, you can see a meta performance inside the the, the actual performance. Right. And then this film touches on so many of Peck and Paw's beloved themes, you know, uh, men who are past their tri- prime trying to deal with, with the, with uh, maintaining themselves, uh, time passing, the future coming. Um, There's also the violence towards women subplot, which is unfortunately a big part of his movies as well. And then this kind of macho toughness that gets in contact with your base desires for money or whatever it may be, and ends up becoming um, this corrupting influence. Um, So what, what the reason I told you, I felt like this was a strange film is because it starts out as a Western and it's a pretty straightforward Western at the very beginning. There's quirky stuff in it. It becomes a horror story in the middle in this okay. really unexpected way. All and right. then becomes this kind of very explicitly revisionist Western that's mm-hmm. commenting on a lot of different things that are uh, peck and paw preoccupations by the end. Mm-hmm. So it, it veers in ways that, I don't know, something like another, another classic like High Noon or Shane don't veer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess in a way it's more like the searchers in that it's commentary um on the very genre it depicts. Searchers is a good is a good comp for Ride the High Country because um it has that very there's a there's a classical sense to you know the searchers, John Ford, John Wayne, uh Monument Valley, all that stuff that's very like, oh okay, this is what if someone told me if you know aliens landed and they said what's a western you could show them the searchers and they'd be like wow there's a lot of racism in this movie <laughs> be like yeah 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 but just pay attention to the horses and the cowboys and the landscape you know don't don't worry about the pay attention to the white cowboys <laughs> since most cowboys weren't white but anyway right yeah. we, we we uh another we interesting twist yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we digress I, I think the other big thing that is in um watching ride the high country this time and i've seen it a few times before is everything is a facade in this movie and i think one of the most interesting things you say it starts like a normal western i'm like yeah there's some quirky and then you said it's quirky i'm like okay it starts with a camel race right yeah and essentially everything in this movie is a con everyone is being conned or everyone everything is being shown for something in which it is it's presenting itself but also there's something behind it. There's the real truth behind it. And I think that's a big part of all Peck and Pa's work is there's what you see in the on the screen, but there's all these other ideas that are sort of bubbling up. And like I said, that are either text or context or, you know, sort of buried in the text, you know, ideas that you sort of have to dig out. Um, like you're some prospector there uh, trying to find gold in the, or water in the in the desert between Gila and Dead Dog uh-huh. Uh-huh. and Cable Hogue. So I, I also think of it as um, we watched uh, we watched a series that just came out on Amazon Prime called The English. I highly recommend it to anyone listening. If you have Amazon Prime and you're like, 
Well, we might get rid of Amazon Prime. You're not giving rid of Amazon Prime because it's tied to <laughs> Amazon Fool. But anyway, um, it's a great series. Uh, a great series there. It's a it's a series um, called The English, and it's a revisionist western. And at the very beginning of this of this TV show, they show up in the western town, and you can see it's being constructed. So you can see, you know, sort of the fake facades that are that are up everywhere, and that in the houses that are behind them. And I thought. Those, those construction of those Western towns, you know, those those studio lot kind of towns um, are very much a Sam Peckinpah movie. There's something you see on the front. It looks bigger than it is, but it's just sort of shows off. And then you sort of have to go deeper and, and find out really what's in the house. Um, you know, whether you have to enter that house justified or not is, is secondary. Um, Randolph Scott and Joel McRae are, yes, absolutely, Jason. These are these are cowboys. Um, for my fellow Crosswood fans out there, they 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 start in a lot of odors, um, as you used to call <laughs> cowboy movies, right? Um, and 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 they just look like what you think a cowboy looks like, and they're old friends, right? That's the other thing that both in watching these two movies side by side, you could swap out James Coburn and Chris Christopherson for Randolph Scott and Joel McRae in either movie. And they would the the whole idea would still play because you've got this older guy who's trying to um, not get out but still be relevant, do, do something, mean something, and you've got this other guy who's his old friend, and they sort of meet again, and they 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 team up and ride the high country. Of course, their adversaries in Pat Garrett, but anyhow, this idea of male friendship and male camaraderie and not men being men or anything like that, but there's a there's a machismo and a very much a um, masculine quality to both these movies and the idea of what it means to be a man and oh, to yeah. have friendships with other men, not necessarily of a of a sexual nature or a romantic nature, but you know just what it means to be a friend and to have a companion like you know, you're, you're left with a very strong sense from Ride the High Country that, you know, uh, Gil and Steve have this very deep bond. They've done a lot of shit together. You know, they've seen a lot of shit. So to, as the saying goes, and they are, they're bound by those memories that, and, and it's very lived in. You buy it right away. Yeah. You're never like these two guys could be friends. Like, no, these are old friends who are getting together for sort of one last job, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You could see everything in the wrinkles on their faces. Yep. yep. Right. Um, so you know, this this really feeds into why I do love the auteur theory of filmmaking, because mm-hmm. we see so much of Peckinpah in these films, as well as many of his other films also. Be- and this is obvious based on the uh, documentaries, the interviews that we were just talking about before we jumped online, because people talk about that over and over. Peckinpah was a man who really valued his relationship with men, didn't treat women nearly as well, but also cut people off and then would reunite with them after a period of time. It's a fascinating thing that it recurs throughout the films. And in fact, um, you know, when we were talking about... uh, Sorry, when we were talking about um, um, Cable Hogue, there's even a bit of that in there as well, right? And this interesting bit of of almost uh, acceptance of other men's flaws in a way, this growth that comes from 
the passage of time that that kind of comes through each of these films that that each person is has grown and changed but at the same time they are still kind of who they are they they're almost driven by their kind of base at, attributes of who they are and there's a degree of forgiveness too and just a you have such a deep and abiding love for this other person this other man that you can betray them as easy as you want to send them on their way like just go to mexico i don't want to have to my job I've been hired to hunt you down i'm going to do my job i'm going to hunt you down so don't let me do that take the easy way out go to mexico and you know don't 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 force my hand is kind of what they're saying in the same way that um Randolph Scott tries to put one over on uh, Joel McRae in Ride the High Country, you know, there's money to be had, you know, there's, there's, you know, it comes down to money, you know, and Randolph Scott from the minute he sees Joel McRae, I, I mean, the minute they, they first meet in that movie, you know, Randolph Scott's in disguise. He's wearing yeah. a, you know, he's wearing a, a disguise and he's sort of putting on a wild West show and they're scamming the public and they're scamming the, the, the people in the town and whatever. And, you know, once, but Joel McRae sees through all that, you know, he sees, he sees the true nature of what Randolph Scott is doing, what Gil is doing. And he knows, you know, he knows he's a shyster and he's trying to, you know, he knows he's, he's, he's grifting him and he's in on the grift. It's yeah. great. He, yeah. you, could, you could tell he's already believing. He doesn't believe anything that he's trying to assert. Right. Right? He's right. got, he's got that, that, buffalo bill style uh, <laughs> yeah yeah headgear on yep, yep. at the at that time too um yep. which is interesting because i just watched uh uh buffalo bill and the indians the altman oh, okay classic yep, too yeah so that resonated there like immediately like this is a buffalo bill sort of character yep. it's fascinating that the randolph scott, scott character's name is gil westrum too <laughs> yeah, right he, yeah. he's the west the western uh attributed man in this world yep um yeah, and so the, the 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 whole other kind of meta layer to this, but that really why? Gives, go ahead. No, I was going to say, how did you come to horror movie? Were the Hammond brothers that scary? You were frightened of the Hammond brothers? Yeah, I was frightened by the Hammond brothers, but more than that, uh, Marion Hartley playing Elsa is terrified mm. of them. Yeah, I mean, look at her situation, though. I mean, you know, it's out of the frying pan and into the fire. She's got this father at home who is this religious uh man who you know won't let her she she's a young woman she wants to go to town she wants to meet you know her husband she wants to get married she has all those traditional values you know she cooks a good ham hock and you know her father is just so uh conservative and so judgmental that no no man could ha ever have his little girl or be worthy of his little girl so he keeps her, you know, he keeps her locked up, essentially. And so she makes this terrible decision to go to a mining camp, which somewhere in my research, I read um, that Sam Peckinpah's father or his uncle took him to a very similar looking camp when he was a kid. And those camps had to be, you know, I, I, the only thing that I've ever seen in a movie that sort of gets to the grit and the grime and just the uh uh just 
Trying, I can't come up with a word. I was going to say pop up, but I know that's not right. Grit and grime are good words for grit and grime are good words for the mining camp. But um, uh, it, gold it, it rush just, community. Yeah, the gold rush community. I mean, is McCabe is, and Mrs. Miller? Which McCabe is, and Mrs. Yeah. Miller looks Kate's that's in uh, Ride the High Country reminds me of the whorehouse in McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Um, temporary. Uh, that was the crazy word I was trying to come up okay. with. Just the the sort of temporariness that all this just got thrown up just a it's a tent and this is where you know this is where a business this is the bank you know this is the here's a tent this tent's a bank the tent across the muddy you know thoroughfare looks exact the same thing but that's the whorehouse you know <laughs> well the whole bit with the the, the mining judges mm-hmm. deciding what's law and what's not law yeah you know this very arbitrary way they end up ruling themselves in in right. the middle of nowhere yeah, and it's uh-huh. the other thing you think about. You have you forget about in you know the civilization that we live in is there's no law, there's no rules. These are lawless, ruleless places out in the middle of nowhere, and sort of the way that things got done was you know by through the barrel of the gun or your own uh, your own strength. It was might makes right. I mean that was that was the way it was. So yeah, that is a little scary. I, I can see that. The Hammond brothers are definitely, all of them are creepy. And you're just watching Elsa just like, you know, she's, you know, she's in trouble. She's in worse shape with them than yeah. her father. You know? Well, let me ask you about the father. So um, mm. two two elements here. One is um, Hartley says in an interview, um, she's she was a Shakespearean trained athlete or actor, excuse me. Mm-hmm. The man who plays her father is a method actor. So she felt very kind of off kilter with him because their styles were very different. This was also her first film. She had never acted on screen before. So she had trouble understanding how she should act on screen. Mm -hmm. So immediately she's wrong footed in terms of how she interacts with the man who plays her father. Um, Did you believe that her father was abusing her? And do you believe her father killed her mother? Interesting. Because I think I saw that subtext there. Okay. And let me say why. First of all, when she, uh, earlier, in the early part of the film, she goes back into the house after meeting the uh, McRae and the young boy she falls in love, quickly uh, at least is attracted to. She comes out in the dress and the the father sends her back to change. And then he follows her and he he slaps her. And she says, I won't allow you to to hurt me anymore. And maybe this is a, you know, kind of me too kind of thing at this point in life. But I I, I was thinking there's something else going on there. And then secondly, um, he goes out and prays at the mother's gravesite every day. But there's a, there's a thing on the gravesite about that basically is implied she was adulterous in his eyes anyway. And who knows if the, either of these things are actually true, but the, they're, they're what I picked up is a little bit of subtext. So that gives her whole story, a whole other area feeling of tragedy. This is this girl who grew up nowhere in the middle of nowhere, no school, really almost no friends. The one boy who ever pays attention to her um, lives, you know, two days right away. Oh, but it also comes from this very, you know, wild, crazy, I wouldn't even call them abusive family as much as they are just this family that's untethered. Right. Bunch of guys. So she's gone yep. almost all her life in this kind of level of 
unimagined kind of cruelty. Mm. No one's ever looking out for her. Nope. She's on her own. She's on her own completely. Right. So, um, you know, I feel like Elsa's a really tragic character in this. And the ending of the film, like, she's completely set adrift. Yeah, it, it is kind of interesting that, you know, uh, I had not read that into the father. Now that you pointed out, it's obvious that, you know, he he definitely, it's definitely a patriarchal, you know, if we want to use our big, you know, academic words, it's definitely a patriarchal world. And, you know, Elsa is def is, is, she has no, she has, there's no, there's no hope for her, you know, and maybe you're right. Maybe she saw what end her mother came to because of her, of her father's religious, religious, religiosity, religiosity, mm -hmm. and also his sort of, you know, I'm the man, you're the woman, you cook, you know, I pray, you know, I, I I'll set the, I'll set the way things are going. But I mean, you know, he comes to a bad end. I forget. There's a great greet when he first shows up. When when um, Gil and Steve first show up to their ranch or their home, and they ask to sleep in the barn, and he's like, "God provides the eggs" or something. He has some line. I wish I remembered it, but it was something like, you know, the 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 ground's free, but God provides the eggs or something like that. Yeah, you know? something similar to that. Yeah. Something similar to that. And he's basically saying, you know. Uh, I'll, 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 you can stay in the barn and, you know, there's a, what do you want for breakfast? That's essentially what he's asking. Get one egg for breakfast. Beyond <laughs> yeah, that, right, right, dollar. Right, right. Exactly. So, so I do think that, that again, is this idea of the corrupting influence of religion and the corrupting influence of um, just, men and what men do and you know how men make the rules kind of thing and how that that certainly doesn't work for this woman in any such situation and just again sort of pointing out like the west was not a was not a good place was not a good place for it was okay for these you know sort of uh you know lone wolves to sort of ride their horses around and go from place to place men didn't seem to have a problem but women you know, all the women in Peck and Paw movies are, you know, wives or whores. <laughs> you know, that's the only kind of, you know, that's the only jobs that they have. You never see, you never have that woman who, uh, you know, runs uh, runs the brothel. You know, you, you never get to hang out with Kate. You, you, yeah. you hang out with the, the whores. The, and... the Alan McBrock character in The Getaway is a pretty well-realized female character. Yeah, that's true. That's There's true. at least uh, one in his, in his... Yeah, by the time he gets to Ally McGraw, you're right, you're right, in The Getaway. she's she's She saves, you know, Steve McQueen in a way. So, you know, she, she's And we a did both like the characters of that Stella Stevens plays in Cable Hogue, too. Right, but she's, she's a prostitute. She, yeah, she's fallen, <laughs> but she rises. I mean, that's the that's theme true. of that film. That's and actually, that's, that's the point I was going to make is that you know, I think Ride the Kite, Ride the High Country, and Wild Bunch and Pat Garrett are all pretty nihilistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you come out of them, and there's not a lot of kind of head lifting, Hope. right? <laughs> Hope, yeah. yeah. Which is why I was talking about Ride the High Country being kind of a precursor for the classic '70s, uh, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, uh, dark era because right. there is really no hope in there and that's why it was such a nice suggestion for you to have me watch Cable Hogue right. because um, that is 
kind of the opposite in some ways. I mean, there is, of course, um, like happens in almost every Peckinpah film, the main character dies. But there is growth and there is change and there is some measure of hope throughout um, throughout that film. I think that's the other thing, too, is that, you know, certainly in Wild Bunch, nobody learns anything. Um, I don't know if Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid are, are, are learn anything in the end. And mm-hmm. certainly, you know, Ride the High Country, you know, nothing's learned. It's all these lessons that um, and, and, and honor that and that really hold all of these people back is their duty to either their fellow man or you know duty to uh, a place or a job or whatever and with cable hogue you know he doesn't care about any of that he's he's duty bound out of revenge and then once he lets the revenge go he's like okay i can move on now but the whole idea with cable hogue is it's probably all a dream anyhow ah yeah so you know, Jason Robards dies. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't find, he finds the water and then that's it. This is the, that's the dream of a dying man. You know, Stella Stevens and all that is the dream of a dying man. So. Wow. That uh, didn't occur to me at all watching it. Wow. Yeah. Well, cause you got the ending with the funeral and he, he talks about how, you know, I, I want, he asks, asks the preacher to give him a funeral. He's like, you, you want to know what people are going to say about you in the end, you know, what, and, and all that. And so, yeah, it, it could be the movie is all a sort of fever dream before uh, before he dies of, you know. Wow. Yeah, I like that a lot. <laughs> interesting interpretation. Makes yeah. you want to rewatch it to see if I can see that in there. Yeah, it's 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 a common uh, reading of that film. I'm not breaking any I'm not I'm not breaking any ground here. So. OK, uh, the film's um, been around for 50 years. And yeah. And so but to get back to your point, uh, there is a. Uh, horrific aspect i mean all his movies are probably you know as far as blood goes and you know death and you know violent acts that's kind of the peck and paw calling card um you know there's a movie we talked about before we started called i mean there's a movie called bring me the head of alfredo garcia it doesn't get much more violent or bloody than that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know it, it, but that's why cable hogue is just a movie that if you get into Peck and Pie, if any of what we have to say here, you know, it hasn't spoiled things for you and you go ahead and you watch it, you know, Cable Hogue is a must watch because it's like this guy had more than one. He was deeper than just, you know, making these cowboy, these bloody cowboy movies about men and horses. You know, there was a lot more to him and Cable Hogue is that. It's a totally different story about the West, plus yeah. Stella Stevens. So Yeah, and there is that theory that he stepped back after the success of wild punch and wanted to do something at least a little more positive feeling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and junior bonner also i guess which came out after the cable hoke and then straw dogs which is famously nihilistic and they did right um junior bonner which is famously a hangout film with steve right. mcqueen steve mcqueen almost plotless. yeah yeah i haven't seen i've always wanted to see major dundee and junior bonner and i've never gotten a chance to I've never been able to track those down. They're not streaming, obviously. Um, and I think maybe the library has Junior Bonner. And I, I just always want, I mean, you know, Steve McQueen is it's never a waste of time to watch a Steve McQueen movie. So I'll I mean, Steve McQueen I... is a rodeo uh, rider. It's got to be pretty good. So yeah, I'll, I'll let you know if I find these movies. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. One of my 2023 resolutions is to try and complete some director viewings. Oh, 
Cool. That's a good, that's, that's a good, uh, that's a good resolution. What, what, who are your directors? Have you decided? I'm four movies away from Kurosawa. Excellent. Oh, that's a big one. That's a, that's, so a, that's going to be a major accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. That's your art nerd card will be punched full for that one. That's a tough one. <laughs> and I've seen um, all the great ones except for dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, yeah. And, I just uh, that's just greed on my part because I love his movie so much. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, <laughs> and I'm gonna try long. and try and do uh, most of Altman. Mm-hmm. And actually, I was thinking about Peck and Paw. Mm. And I've watched I've watched like two thirds of John Carpenter, so that's my oh okay, kind of semi guilty pleasure. I did Carpenter a couple of years ago. That's a that's a great. Uh, anytime you want to talk Carpenter, um, that that's a great. Peck and Paw is the easiest to to complete, but probably the hardest because. There's only 12, 13 movies. His uh, Western that he, that got him all the, that got him the ability to shoot Ride the High Country. Um, it's not called The Left Hand of the Gun. It's got a very like- The, the Westerner? The, the Westerner, I think. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. Those are all on Amazon Prime. Those are all streaming on Prime. Okay. And I've watched a couple of them. They're like little Peckinpah movies. Not, not you know, the violence or anything like that, but- they're, they they have that they have that sense. You can get a sense that oh okay, this is our guy, this is our there, guy who's doing. There's this. also a couple of short films he did for TV that were anthologies yep. that are on YouTube. Oh okay, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd like to I'd like to work my way through him too. I mean, there's ways to to acquire films that aren't streaming. That's true. There are. There, yeah. Well, there's like archive.org and there's rarefilm.com, yep. which are either legal or semi legal, and then there's other ways to get stuff too. So. I'm just so intrigued by his career, though. Yeah, um, yeah. Pat Garrett is a strange film. Absolutely, right. And and uh, I don't. Know, do you want to talk about some of the behind the scenes stuff that caused it to be such a strange film? Um, it's or there. I could talk about I mean, it too. I mean, it, it, yeah, I think it will sort of come out in the story. It's. I think it's sort of one of. <laughs> it was funny. I was thinking about it, watching it the other night, and I was like, you know, this is both a indictment and a uh uh you know makes alcoholism like it's a good idea you know you probably don't want to be an alcoholic it's probably not (laughs) good there's a lot of uh there's a lot of things that make alcoholism bad but boy oh boy if you can pull off a pack out and billy the kid (laughs) you can pull off art like that that's pretty good the one one of the things I love about the story is that it's the Peck and Paw Acting Company. I mean, yeah. all of the actors who were in his movies and all of these great character actors, you know, are in Peck Air. It's like here, I'm just gonna. It's a kitchen sink kind of thing. I'm just gonna throw everybody you've ever seen in any western, or you know, and Peck and Paw worked with them all. They're all in here. You're you. It's 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 a bunch of that guys. I mean, you're just right. going to be one like one after the other after the other after the other and and Bob Dylan and Bob Dylan <laughs> and Bob Dylan so yeah yeah and we we got to make sure to talk about Bob Dylan yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah Jason Robard Chill Wills Richard Jekyll Kate Gerardo uh, Barry Sullivan Archie Armstrong yep it just Jack goes on e- and on. Eaglin L Q Jones Warren Oates Harry Dean Stanton they're all here you know. It, mm-hmm. It's just like, you know, when you get to heaven, you know, you get to meet the cast of, 
uh, <laughs> Pat Garrett, Billy Kid, which again, as you said, is a very, very odd movie, oddly paced. It, it's it's a it's a guys on a mission movie. You know, it's very simple. It's just you're tracking down, you know, the bad guy in this case, Billy the Kid. You know, and the guy who's forced to track him down is his best friend, you know, or his one his his once best friend, as once I was talking friend, about. Yeah. Former best friend, I guess. That's what once best really should you should say. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, and and it has a weird uh just the way it sort of works and the way it moves, it's it's a it's a chase movie, you know, but it's got some starts and stops and takes a lot of side roads and you know lest we forget the most important thing about Pat Garrett is Pat Garrett is James Coburn. This is one of those performances of a lifetime kind of things. Like he's just awesome. Just, you know, James he Coburn just inhabits that yeah. role. Yeah. He, yeah. It's you can't imagine anyone else in that role. And he just right. has this power to him. And a lot, a lot of people have played Pat Garrett. So, you know, yeah. it's a famous Western figure. So, you know the the all time greatest sheriff, and he's really kind of a dirtbag. <laughs> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Coburn plays him that way. You know, he plays him as kind of this, you know, drunk asshole, just from beginning to end. And you know, basically telling you know, following his best, dogging his best friend, and being like, "Better get to Mexico, or else I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to hang you." You know, and even when he's got him in his jail, he still, you know is 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 not letting him off the hook he's he's just dangling him and you know letting him suffer you know yeah. <laughs> watching chains, him build his own gallows chains, literally yeah. chains him up as he's yeah. watching out this window at the gallows but at the same time he allows him to not be trapped inside his cell and he's playing cards with right. other guards and yeah he's got uh, friends yeah he's got they all friends, know each right? other and that's that's something that, that we've been talking around that i really enjoy about these films is these characters really are three-dimensional mm-hmm. but three-dimensional in, in a different way than we expect right i mean there's, there's three-dimensionality where a character has you know family but these are characters who have multiple different kind of things going on in their lives different like emotional complexity to them and they you know, have they found families. tough and killers but they're also loving they're also kind right. at right. times they're also vicious Loyal. And, and and horrible right i mean right. the scene where um billy uh has the shootout with Jack Elam, mm. you know, the duel with Jack Elam where they both cheat when they have to count to 10 and it's right. all done in front of, um, I a guess family like grandkids <laughs> or something. Yeah. Well, just uh, it's the shopkeeper, you know, the guy who runs the, a family that they all know. That's the other thing too, that, you know, this is a very, in some ways, like almost a hermetic world. Everybody knows everybody in Pat Garrett, you know, the, the jailers know Pat or they know Billy or they rode with Billy or they were in Billy's gang for a while or, you know, whatever, they all know each other. And I think that's the other part that's so uh, interesting is that, you know, again, it's the Sam Peckinpah players, but um, I think the other thing about, even when he goes, <laughs> even when, um, Pat ends up at the bar at the end and I found a juice glass in the house and poured myself uh, something brown in the juice glass because <laughs> I, I, I'm watching James Coburn. He's always, it's the one thing in these two movies, 
all the liquor is always in the same bottle and it's always the same color. Yeah. <laughs> it's always the same. And I'm it's always his, like, it's his special alcohol, right? It's right, right, right. Cup, yeah. It under keeps the under the counter. Yeah. And, and just every time, even, you know, in the wild bunch, it's the same thing. It's like, you know, somewhere along the line, Sam Peckinpah came across a score of, you know, bottles and they filled them all with the same brown liquor. And I swear it's the same goddamn bottle that shows up in <laughs> every, every single Peck and Paw movie and even other Westerns, you know, these are the bottles, this, but this is what, the, but this also gets to were. my point too, which is, you know, everyone has their quirks, right? We all have our drinks. We like, this is one of the many ways personality comes out. Right. And Garrett is in part revealed because of, what he likes to drink and the way he treats people and the way he acts around in a bar, you know, he's obviously a man who's been in many, many saloons. It's obviously a man who's used to kind of commanding any sort of environment he's in. Right. He's drank a lot of, drank a lot of that Brown liquid or whatever it is in those <laughs> bottles. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just, and the other I'm thing gonna too, pull, this... I'm going to pull out uh, a comment. So you, I don't want to cut you off, Keith. So. No, no, no. Go ahead. Um, but you were talking a little bit earlier about uh, the plot and how um, it doesn't always kind of directly follow. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really interesting approach he takes to this. I think it's inadvertent. I think the three and a half hour cut the, the he legendary legendarily created and then refused right. to edit um, probably has a lot more connecting tissue in here. Sure. Um, but I'll be I'll be pretentious. What's your in quote? That. What's that? Let's hear your quote. Well, not a quote, but a, 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 a idea, mm -hmm. which ahead. is that um, like like really two other directors who immediately popped to mind, Ozu and and Altman, we are asked to fill in some of the gaps. Mm -hmm. As viewers, we are expected to, to, to kind of draw traces between these characters and understand what's going on in a deeper way. So, for example, the Jason Robards character, the governor, comes on for just a few minutes. Mm hmm. And we're in his beautiful um, palace, I guess you can call it. Um, and he gives us some deeper context around what's happening. And then he's not really in the film at all anymore. Right. But we are meant to kind of understand how his actions, his his what he's talking about, all relates to everything larger in here. And as such, as a viewer, um, there's a lot more that we have, a lot more work we need to do than in other movies. Mm. And this movie still works on the surface. But I think it works better uh, when it's in dialogue with itself. And I think that using these well-known faces, these famous Western actors, really gives us permission to do that because he can expect in mid-1970s that most of the people watching his films are going to be familiar with these people and draw those connections. Gotcha. gotcha. In the same way that you might be asked to draw the connections in, say, Ocean's Eleven or something. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is Brad Pitt. Okay. I know this, this, and this about Brad Pitt. So you only need little tiny bits and pieces to flesh out his character. So Pat Garrett and Billy Kid was an early Marvel movie is what you're saying. It's like, there's all these little connective <laughs> yes. tissues that go back and you're just like, oh yeah, LQ Jones. He was so-and-so in such and such a movie yes. back, you know, whenever. Okay. All right. I see what you're going. So, you know, Peck and Paul was ahead of his time there too. He, he knew what he was doing with all these sort of interconnected universes, the 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 Peckin the PCU the Peckinpah <laughs> cinematic universe I like yeah. it I like it uh, of which one of those uh, stars in the firmament is uh, Warren Oates so that's all that's that's good that's good with me who of course shows up here in uh, Billy the Kid's gang 
I mean, is this um, a crazy is a crazy analogy, or does that make sense to you? No, that makes sense. I, I like it. I, I think that you know the one thing about you were talking about the auteur theory before. You know, this idea that the you know a move the, the movie is a product of one man, and I think that kind of falls apart with certain directors, uh, and probably falls apart in a lot of ways because media like this is such a team sport you know yeah. you need the actors you need the cinematographer the set dressers the the art direction all that sort of stuff but in a lot of ways this is you know i think the reason that peck and paws movies resonate so strongly with people is because you can see the human being behind it you can see the ideas you can see the struggle that sort of goes on with these different um with these different characters and what they're really, you know, the, the scene that really struck me watching Pat Garrett this time is when he goes to his house and he opens the gate and he goes to visit his wife and he opens that gate with the hinges that are kind of, uh, you know, uh, it's not like a, it's not like a horse gate. It's not like a corral gate, you know, it's this, you know, white picket fence kind of thing. And, you know, it, it's springy, it's got hinges on it. And he just sort of, you know, he doesn't really know what to do with it. It seems odd to him. You know, he knows yeah. what a gate is. He knows what a door is. He's not, you know, a fool or or mentally incapacitated <laughs> or something. But he also, it's just not where he is. He's right. I mean, it, he has to take, you know, takes off his hat or whatever, you know, when he goes in the house. And it's clear that he does not want to be there. He is not comfortable there. You know, his wife's like, where have you been? He's like, hey, I've been on the job. It was a long day at the office kind of thing. And I'm going to be gone for a few weeks. I got to go track down, you know, I go kill my best friend. And, yeah. and you she's know, clearly she's... sick of his shit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, and I think that is the same thing for Peckinpah, too. He was he was a family man. He had children and he had wives. And um, but he was never a father. He was never someone who was going to take his kids fishing um i think it's i forget who it is there's uh i think it maybe even it might be even uh jason robards that said that peck and paul was out of the country and he called jason robards and said it's my son's birthday can you go and buy him a fishing pole you know as a present for me because i forgot and jason robards says you know he says well i went and i did it of course because peck and paul was my friend but he told peck and paul you know buying your son a fishing pole isn't about the fishing pole yeah it's about taking your kid fishing and spending time with your kid and you know peck and Pond knew that and i think he struggled with that i think we all struggle you know uh with family life and family responsibilities um you know at times and i think that that's one of the things you recognize in this movie without it being overt i mean a guy you know walks in a house and you know it's there on the screen but you it's it's what you feel this is very much a movie about feelings and what you feel from what you see um as much as it is just an action adventure movie oh yeah that's a great insight and i think all those movies are about feelings which yeah. is interesting because he seems to be a man who had rel a relatively narrow spectrum of feelings to to be polite at least from yeah, what we know you... although like right um it, he has a one of his kids is a um, costume designer, a daughter, mm -hmm. Lupita. Mm -hmm. Lupita. Mm -hmm. um, 
Uh, I think he had her with a wife who lived in Mexico because she has. A yeah, he franchised. He had, he had a couple of different families. Um, and she had nothing but she had nothing but good things to say about him for the public forum where she talked about him. Right. And, you know, I have no reason to be skeptical about that. Um, and so, you know, he, for all his flaws, you know, he is who he, he was, who he was and right. Love for, for who he was. Well, the, 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 the great Jason Sachs line came out in the uh, documentary I was telling you about that's on the um, wild bunch DVD. Um, and it was the line that, you know, Sam Peckinpah was a man. Um, oh no, you know <laughs> it's the it's the it's what the preacher says at the end of Cable Hogue. Mm-hmm. As he gives the benediction, he says, you know, Cable Hogue was a man. And Stella Stevens says, God damn right he was. <laughs> you know, and I think that's very much, you know, Sam Peckinpah. He was, you know, if you can say anything about him, you know, be it Dracula or Sam Peckinpah or Cable Hogue, he was a man. <laughs> You know, and what that's those all everything that that statement implies. Right, right. Yeah, and I think you know, most of the time I I am a bit skeptical of the the uh, auteur theory because Mm -hmm. of exactly the reasons you're describing. There's cases where I believe though that it does apply more, and it's really more of a group sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, The films of David Cronenberg, for example, he has a collaboration, a group he collaborates with um, every time, and therefore you know they can all be seen as a piece. Right, mm-hmm. and they have a very specific anyway. Uh, and Peck and Pa with his Malibu Mafia, who works on his films, I think you can mm-hmm. see that all that um, kind of applied also. Yeah. And so, um, and he's clearly is the driving force, but it's for both good and for ill, right? Yeah. Because yeah. if he had had more of what we see as a 2020 sort of discipline, yeah, um, he would have been able to produce his vision of the Wild Bunch. And the problem that we have is that, you know, there's really three different versions of the film. None of them of the director's vision. None of them was the vision he had at the time, let alone the vision of the screenwriter. Right, right. And, and which he didn't I, really necessarily believe in following a script regardless. And so right. he wanted to let the film kind of organically create its own self. Yeah. Again, anything, an interesting cadence with, with um way he rhymes with Altman there. Yeah. Anything that sort of, you've ever heard about a director whatever that whatever that word conjures for you is essentially what you're conjuring is sam peckinpah is this sort of dictatorial guy who is this is his vision and you are going to execute it as you know as it as it is and he was also very giving and you know, all the actors in the docs all talk about how, you know, the script, you know, you had to memorize your lines and you had to know what to say and where to stand. But Sam sort of created the movie as the production was in place. And he would do things that would get whatever he was trying to, whatever feeling that he was trying to emote, whatever he was trying to present, he was able as a director, as directing other actors other people he was able to get that out of the cast and crew and that's something that is you know i I don't think that that would probably fly nowadays Mm -hmm. but it it is a way to direct a a a film you know i mean it barely flied in during those days yeah that's true that's why that's part of why the studio hated him yeah 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 And, and he was kind of an antagonistic kind of guy you know i think that's the other thing too about him is you know, and 
again, to go back to Cable Hogue, who's probably outside of uh, the character and bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia, who looked and dressed like Peckinpah, Cable Hogue is as much Sam Peckinpah as it is Jason Robard's character. I think mm-hmm. there's a lot of Peckinpah and who he was in Cable Hogue. And again, I, you know, opening the, uh, I always try to find a line of something to say, Jason, for your introduction. And in the end, what Peckinpah wanted is what Steve, is what uh, Joel McRae says, he wants to enter his house justified. Whatever mm-hmm. that means to you, to me, to the listeners, that that is that that feeling, whatever that meaning is, that's what Peckinpah wanted. enter justify enter the kingdom of heaven enter the afterlife enter your own home you know and justified what what is justified what 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 does that mean what do you think he means by that i think oh boy you're catching me off guard here i think what he means is to be your true self to be who you are um you know justified sanctified you know, whatever that is, I think for Sam Peckinpah is, I'm trying to find that truth. Who am I? You know, I want to enter my house as who I am. Um, and apparently that was something his father had said. He took that line from his father. His, that was what his father said when, you know, dad, what do you want when you, you know, when you die? He goes, just want to enter my house justified. You know, I want to, my house justified. you know, and, and I don't know if that, again, again, the house is the afterlife, heaven, you know, what it's supposed to be. But it's definitely, you know, I think it's about, you know, being your true self, being who you are and being okay with that and being, you know, this is who I am, false and all. If we say nothing else, he was a man, you know. Authenticity. Authenticity. Yep. And and integrity to being yourself. Yes. We talk about that a lot at work, too, when we do training. (laughs) Really? The most important thing to, to do in my role yeah. to be your authentic self always bring your authentic self to to work every day to enter your work justified enter your work justified in a way <laughs> and to encourage other people to be the same way because that's the way you build uh strong high-performing teams because you're building trust with, the, with each other mm. you're not putting on an alternate face it doesn't mean you're not professional but it means you know if you're having a bad day it's okay to say you're having a bad day right you're distracted you can talk about you know your kid being sick or whatever and that's right. not even not even uh something we, we want to hear but gotcha. we're but that's a di- kind of a we're t- we're talking in peckapaw's uh case of a deeper level there right but I mean, right. you think there's some sort of justification for his uh kind of antisocial uh attitudes at times I think it's I, I think it's one of those things that is something that you strive for like Obviously, we all want to be our authentic selves, right? We all want to enter our houses justified, but it's it's hard work, right? You're flawed. I think, again, that's that other thing I come back to, you know, your quoting of, was it Gene Conlon in uh, Vampire Dracula? The improbably named Marv Wolfman. Marv Wolfman, right. I'm sorry. <laughs> the man you named know. Marv Wolfman wrote Tomb of Dracula, which is Tomb the craziest Dracula. thing in right. the history of writing things, I guess. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's that idea that, you know, we are flawed. We are human. We, you know, we're, we're 
impatient. We drink too much. We don't, you know, see our kids on their birthdays, but you know, we are who we are. And that's, that's what in the end, I think that's what it means. It's something to strive for. It's never something to be met, right? It's a goal, but never anything you're ever going to reach just because you're flawed. So I think it's interesting to go back to ride the high country because, um, we have a touch of that, of the characters kind of being them themselves. But unlike his other films, there's a kind of redemption at the end. Mm-hmm. Right? The Randy Scott character steals the gold they're carrying back. Tries to. Tries to. And then um, kind of essentially runs off when, um, but then ends up being killed trying to save the girl they're riding with. So he has a bit of a redemption. He gets shot. He gets he shot. Gets Joel shot, McRae. But he, yeah. Joel McRae dies, but yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Spoilers yeah, right. for Ride the High Country. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, but there is a bit of a redemption to that character. Like he is, he does kind of come to realize he should be doing the right thing. Right. Joel McRae has that line where he's like, I knew you'd always, you, you know, I knew, I knew you'd always do the right thing. You just forgot. Yeah. You know, I think that's the other thing, you know, again, you're going to do the right thing. You just forgot for a little while. Forgiveness, redemption. And he's redeemed at the end, you know, Randolph Scott can ride off into the sunset knowing that he, at the end, he took care of his friend. I'll take care of it. He tells him at the end. Right. And what he means is I'll bury you and I'll see that, you know, you get a nice, uh, you know, benediction at the end or whatever. I'll take care of it. You know, he trusts his friend that he's going to, you know, take care of his moral remains, so to speak. So beautifully set me up for the question I've been anxious to ask since I, for a couple of days how's that contrast with the end of pat garrett and billy the kid when pat patiently waits to shoot billy after billy's made love with his uh the woman he loves wife and then, girlfriend yeah whoever she is like he clearly whatever, loves her whoever right? she is yeah 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 um and um pat waits and then shoots billy and then shoots the mirror shoots his reflection right. yeah uh do you see those as kind of two kind of flip of each other's coin are they i think different dichotomy what do you make of that so the mirror shot yeah the mirror shot i think is one of those like perfect images of what the whole movie is about i think there's two sequences in that movie that are uh and this this isn't my idea the the so the mirror shot at the end you know apparently that was james coburn's idea and peck and paw didn't like it because he thought it was too literal and i agree with peck and paw it's very literal you know pat garrett is shooting himself or a part of himself right that he sees his reflection the other one and this is the one where i didn't come up with this on my own is the scene and this is one of your character moments i think the scene where pat garrett is uh camping out by the river and he sees the guy go by on the river and the guy's shooting at bottles in the, you know, he's throwing bottles up and doing target practice and not doing very well at it. And Pat Garrett picks up his gun and he tries to shoot the bottle. And then the guy that's going by on the boat sees Pat Garrett, names his gun at him and shoots at him, you know? And I think that's the other part of it. That's just sort of, you know, tells you everything you need to know about the West and law and, you know, what might makes right sort of thing. Uh, the mirror shot uh, yeah well, but i think importantly pat holds the gun ready to shoot back at him 
and then puts the gun down. Right. True. True. Yeah. He doesn't kill him, you know, in doesn't front of his even, family. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't even shoot back at him. Right. Right. Doesn't shoot back at him. Um, I, I think that the other part of the ending, and, and it's funny when you say he waits for Billy, is he would have waited. He's been waiting forever. I mean, this is kind of one of those things like, at some, there's a part of me it's like pat garrett you're not very good at your job you know exactly where this guy <laughs> is you're taking forever and a day to get there because you don't want to do it right he's deferring he's mm-hmm. hamlet he's deferring i don't want to do this i don't want to do this that's a great analogy you know um hamlet's a great analogy for everything you can always say it's hamlet. <laughs> it always works um but anyhow so you know pat garrett spends a lot of time drinking in bars and meeting billy's friends and asking where he is even though he knows where he is the whole time right Mm -hmm. and so yeah what's what's another you know what's another 10 minutes let billy finish what he's doing have his have his you know a bit of joy a bit of ecstasy and you know there's plenty of time to kill billy he's not he's not going anywhere you know and i think the other part of uh that scene with the mirror is i think it's the oh no no it's i take that back the wild bunch is so much about slow motion and the slow motion violence it's what the movie's known for it's what peck and paw is known for and it gets used in the wild bunch you know to show the violence of of you know gunshots the gunshots in pat garrett are loud they mm-hmm. are loud i mean you know there's always you know gunplay in all cowboy movies even in cable hope you know there's people shooting at other people the yeah. guns don't sound like they sound in pack garrett those guns are loud boy they are loud they're loud like they are in the wild bunch um they're meant for killing and when he shoots that mirror he you know he, yeah, he kills off a part of himself. He kills off a part of the West. He, I think that's the other thing that Peckinpah is saying too. He's killing off that side of himself that, you know, this is it for cowboy movies. We're done. After this, we're not going to do any more Westerns. We're, we'll do Westerns, but we won't put cowboys and, you know, uh, we'll give LQ Jones some blue jeans instead of, you know, chaps and, you know, uh, and kind of hat. Um, you know, so I think that there's a lot of, again, there's a lot of subtext here that is text that is very obvious. And I think those two scenes, the scene on the river and the scene uh, with the mirror at the end are very much, you know, the text subtext kind of, you know, take it for what it's worth. It's obvious what the symbolism is, but also, you know, there's more going on below the surface. Cause you know, he doesn't want to shoot that mirror. He, he, he does a double take, you know, before he shoots it and then he shoots it, you know? So um, just like the old man on the boat, he doesn't want to shoot him, but you know, he's got a gun. So he shot at him. Why not? Mm-hmm. But he has no choice to let the progress go on. Right. Right. I had a question for you okay. that I've been meaning to ask. Okay. So, so, Billy's jailed up. Billy's chained up in the jail there, right? And he says he's gotta he's gotta use the he's gotta use the outhouse. He's gotta go to the Jakes. And he goes in there, and there's a gun hidden under a bunch of newspapers. You know, amongst the toilet paper in the outhouse is a gun. Who put the gun there? I was wondering about that. <laughs> and more than that, why doesn't he ever? Well, no, he does take it. Yeah, 
Well, yeah. Who put the, who put the gun there? Um, my first thought was is the members of his gang, but it's before he really had the members of his gang. Yeah, but they're they're there. They you know they're around. Everyone loves Billy the Kid. You know he's an outlaw. He's not. He, he's probably not clever enough to have planted there it there beforehand. Is it? Is there a chance that it's Pat? Well, you know, I was really thinking about that because I was really thinking about the complete apathy that townspeople have about Billy escaping from jail. It's really striking how he has this moment of violence and um, shoots the guy and <laughs> then smashes coins. the rifle. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, doesn't even really follow up on it. Yeah. They just let him. They just they let him go. There. They don't care. Right. That, that you can see like they get him a horse. <laughs> you can see he's a hero in their eyes, right? Yeah. I mean, this is where Dylan comes, and he wa- he wants to follow him. Right, follows him. He's he's magnetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Plus, he's I, Chris Christopherson. So, yeah, exactly. Who is magnetic? First film role, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I think that the more I think about, it, the more I think that a townspeople townsperson put it there. Hmm. A townsperson who uh, just does very kind of wants to see him to to see him move on with his life. But I like the theory that it could be Pat because, um, you know, this, this idea of the mirror, right? The, the idea of your, your perfect match, uh, your, your uh, uh, platonic uh, perfect partner. Right. Right. Your, your opposite number. Yeah. These are, these are truly the opposite numbers for each other. Yeah. And yeah, I think that uh, to get back to my question, like uh, Mm. I think one of the reasons he shoots out the mirror is because he feels nullified in his own self. Mm. Myself as I saw myself for all these many years is now completely shattered. It's gone. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and and you called out too, like this pleading for him to just go to Mexico. So I don't have to chase after you anymore. Mm. Um, Does reveal this kind of real strong, not even an ambivalence. I think it's a real kind of uh, hope that I don't have to do my job. Right. I think the other thing too, and the reason I said, could it be Pat is he needs something to do. You know, he can't, he can't stay at home. That's not Pat Garrett's life. He can't, you know, he can't come in off the range. His life is riding horses and, you know, he's out riding fences as the saying goes. There's a famous story that I, I heard in, uh, Pat Garrett, but I've also heard. Have you watched any Cassavetes? That'd be a good one for your director marathon. Yeah, I've um, watched some watch... Cassavetes. I had okay. trouble with Cass. I couldn't get through Husbands, for example. Oh, okay. Um, so in uh, Killing of a Chinese Bookie, there's a famous story. One. Okay, uh, then maybe you've heard the story if you watch the Criterion edition because they talk about it. But he says, you know, why do we have to kill him? And they were like, John you call this movie the killing of a Chinese bookie. <laughs> we have to kill the bookies. Like, but what did he do? What was wrong? You know, this whole sort of thing. And so I think that's the same thing with Pat Garrett is why do we have to kill Billy the kid? Why do we have to kill, you know, if you do a man on the street interview and you go up to anybody and you say, who's Billy the kid, people know who he is and they don't have to know anything about him. It's just kind of like Mickey mouse. You know, he's a brand. He was a brand before, you know, that was a phrase, you know, long, long before it was a phrase. Billy the Kid is, you know, I remember him from 
Brady Bunch episodes. You know, you didn't have to know who Billy the Kid was to know who he was. And he's a legend, you know. What do you know between the truth? Print the legend. You know, Billy the Kid is the yeah. legend. That went through and, my mind also, yeah. Absolutely. Right, and you're, you're, you're killing the legend. You're killing the Old West. You're, you're also making this myth. You're making this man into a myth, you know. And that's the other part of it that I think Pat Garrett doesn't want you know he's he says you know it comes uh, his is one of the quotes i wrote it down jason i didn't remember it so comes an age in a man's life when he don't want to figure out what's next that's what pat wants yeah you know, th- that's what he wants in his life you know yeah he he wants to stop he wants to get off the merry-go-round he wants to retire i don't know what he thinks he's gonna do he has no follow-up you know it's not like he's like i want to retire and you know raise cattle or i've always wanted to paint you know <laughs> there's nothing like that you know i just can't see him sitting in that house with that white picket fence just you know drinking his liquor you know without lemuel around or or whatever so it is kind of fascinating about he wants to he, he doesn't want to figure out what's next but i don't think he knows what's next i think that's the irony of pat garrett is that he's as much a myth as billy the kid is but he's, you know, in law, not an outlaw. All right. So let's let's tie this up then with the question you've inspired in me. Um, going back to our to the points we were making about Hamlet, um, do you think the characters in these film, both these films, are tragic figures? Yes, because I think that the West is a tragic figure. I think that's really what we're talking Ooh. about when we talk about um, any of Sam Peckinpah's movies is there is a sadness, uh, an ele- elegy for the West, for a way things used to be. And Peckinpah's whole point is to point out to you is that, you know, the good old days weren't always good. You know, tomorrow's not as bad as it seems. Uh, you know, to quote, <laughs> to quote someone who was never uh, e- even close to the West. But anyhow, <laughs> um, I-, I think that's what Peckinpah is yearning for this. He's is there's there's a nostalgia to his work, but because he is human and flawed, he also hates that nostalgia as much as he embraces it. Is you know he wants to show you that mining camp and show you the kind of characters that were crawling around there and that they weren't good people and that it wasn't you know sort of all you know fun and you know uh prostitution there was you know there were some things about there were a lot of things that were terrible about the west you know it's a lawless place a place where you know uh religion reigned and you could keep your you know you you were the judge jury and executioner in many ways um, and that's not a good thing. I don't think, you know, it wasn't a good place for artists. And I think that's the other part because we haven't talked about Bob Dylan yet. And I oh, think yeah, that's yeah, the thanks. other. Yeah, I want to make sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the other part that Peck and Paw is very aware of is he is whatever it means to be an artist. I think Pam, Sam Peck and Paw saw himself as an artist, as, you know, creating art and and sharing his ideas with the world through an artistic medium that is very much Sam Peckinpah as much as it is this guy that likes, you know, horses and cow cowboys, excuse me. Yeah. I want to explain myself to the world in a way that is true to myself. And the way yeah. I found to explain myself to the world is by creating these kind of perplexing 
uh, works mm-hmm. of art. Complex people, yeah. Yeah, which... And I think that's know. the whole... You know, the other thing about Dylan in, you know, because so much of the, you know, the ideas of Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid are built around myths and these mythical Western figures, Dylan is a, you know, he's he's a recorder he is there he you know he's works in a print shop you see him and he's all he's got ink stains and even though he knows how to his way around a knife he's 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 there to record the stories of how this you know showdown worked and it's not to report the truth it's to uh it's to perpetuate the myth it's to print the legend it's to print the legend yeah that's what he's there for yep Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and he, and he is a legend himself. In the, he's a walking legend, right? Even uh, back yeah. then, even back yeah, in nineteen seventy-three, well, his whole the whole point of him, the whole point of his his approach to the world was to feel like this legend, this this other, this different creation. Mm-hmm. Right, he's Dylan, a, truly saying. a creation. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. self-created, much like you know, all those. He created his accent. He created his name. He created his approach to music. He was doing things his own way constantly. Um, but he also, um, you know, if you're a Dylan fan, you're aware of like this film was made in 74, 75. At the time Dylan was did his major comeback in the 70s and uh, famously did the Rolling Thunder tour, which uh, Scorsese did that mockumentary for yep. yeah, um, when Dylan was placing um, Dylan's career. Yeah, and it it gives him when, one when of his Dylan was hanging hits. out with his friends and having Peck and Pa esque adventures with them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all his friends are in this movie. It's not like, uh, it's not like Bob Dylan didn't know anybody on set. It's not like he was, you know, a stranger in a strange land. You know, yeah. Chris Christopherson was his friend. Harry Dean Stanton was his friend. You know, I'm sure the other character actors in the movie were friends of his. I'm sure he knew Slim Pickens. You know, LQ Jones apparently was an incredible guitar player. So, you know, <laughs> whatever the case may be, I, I think the whole idea of, and again, I think Peckinpah does this in his casting, like he did with Ride the High Country and Scott and McRae, is he puts people in his movies that have this backstory that the viewer is going to bring to it. When you see bob dylan you see bob dylan there you don't see this guy alias you're like oh, that's cute you know but for the most part you're like that's bob dylan you know yeah, that's and even explicitly drawn out in this yeah. in the piece right yeah who am i well that's uh that's a little complicated that's a good question he says who yeah, are you question. that's a good Thank question yeah. <laughs> typical bob dylan answer typical uh-huh. bob dylan answer that's who are you that's a good question it's like, yeah, I can be whoever you want me to be. You know, I'm a song and dance man. You know, I, I just think that that's, you know, that's the other thing that's really interesting about, <laughs> you know, about this movie is you have this oddball. First, you have all these, like you said, the world's greatest collection of Western character actors, plus Bob Dylan, plus, you know, Chris Christopherson is no, you know, he's a pop star. You know, think about, you know, we watched that Harry... Harry Styles movie, that policeman movie, and you know, a little while ago. And, you know, putting pop stars in your movies is, you know, sort of an odd thing. And Chris Christopherson's like, like you totally believe he could be Billy the Kid, right? Sure. You don't yeah. think of him as the the crooner, you know, star is born, all that shit. 
you think of him as you know oh he's a cowboy of course he is he's Billy the right. Kid. Well, we forget this too but like musicians can often be like great in movies they have a certain different unique yeah, charisma have, right? right it doesn't have to be like barbara streisand singing in a film either i mean um sinatra did a, a bunch of really fantastic films in the 60s elvis made a career out of it 20, 10 years yeah, of elvis his is life the wrong <laughs> that who i'm like sinatra in in um the manchurian candidate all right example yep and even oceans 11 Yep. Yeah, and even Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, they have yeah. charisma. They have stage presence. They know how to uh, emote and how to act. Because that's yeah, what it, it's even more elusive with Dylan because it's like he his whole game is about being cryptic. I love like right. he has a set night song from nineteen seventy nine. You got to serve somebody. Yeah, you know the song, I'm sure. And yep. it's got this nonsense line: "You can call me Cherry. You can call me Timmy. You can call me Bobby. You can call me Zimmy. You can call me RJ. You can call me Ray." You can call me anything, but no matter what you say, you're going to have to serve somebody. <laughs> yes, indeed. Indeed, indeed, yeah. indeed. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, I got yeah. one more quote to go out. For, okay. Jason. And I was going to so, say like the, yeah. that ambiguity in that ending, like yeah. uh, that line, like that's perfectly captures these films in a way. So, yeah, I, I think the other thing too, and this is what I think is, again, that peck and pod direction. I mean, nobody writes a line like, um, you know, she's got an ass on her like a $40 cow. Nobody writes that. <laughs> no no one is going to write that. That's going to come out in the moment. There, That's going to come out in something, in not in, uh, you know, sort of making stuff up, not in, uh, you know, just sort of riffing or whatever. I think that's something that Sam Peckinpah probably heard somebody say at some time about a woman uh, you know, I, I always thought I, uh, the $40 cow doesn't sound good. You know, $40 mule. I don't know if mules were 40 bucks, but <laughs> no, it, it just, it's just one of those lines that, you know, I can't believe somebody hasn't picked up on that yet. It's just, it's just great. You know, got a girl there named, forget what, 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 what her name is, but you know, yeah, she got an ass on her, like a $40 cow. Like a $40 you know, cow. Some there's some place I can use that, Jason. I got to remember that. That and uh, you know, next time I'm I'm away, I want to have uh, butterfly mornings and uh, prairie flower afternoons. That's that great song in uh, Ballad of Cable Hope. See, that's something you can use in your professional life. I don't recommend you using the ass line that you're talking <laughs> to some farmer in the middle of. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, Burlington, that would probably Vermont work. That would probably work. Yeah, not too many farms in Burlington, but. Yeah, out, true. Out, 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 out away from the city maybe i was trying to think of a single other place i knew in vermont and uh <laughs> yeah all the places that you probably know it's like me you know talking about places in washington you know the places you really want to go are the far away you know places where the real people <laughs> live not uh not walla walla or tacoma or seattle those are all cities those are all big places yeah yeah you, know? you want to be out on the mountain loop highway yeah, Mountain Loop Highway. Okay. Get, getting right. out and seeing nature like we saw in these films. Yeah. 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 And and you They're know beautiful both... movies. They really do look beautiful. And that cinematography yeah. is just gorgeous. Yeah, Lucian Ballad. Don't uh don't don't ever sleep on Lucian Ballad. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful he shot all of the most famous Peck and Paw movies, shot these two movies. And yeah, I mean, I, I do think that there's a sense and the other part that I think is really interesting is that this is um in that movie in that series i was referring to the english it was all shot in spain 
And I think what's interesting is that, you know, outside of there being sets and Westerns being a genre in which someone could, you know, shoot, you know, in a, once they set up the soundstage for the Western town or whatever and ride the high country, that same town has probably been used in 50 other things. Yeah. This is sort of a time and a place in America, in the West before, you know, you probably couldn't shoot there anymore. That, that, Mm -hmm. that lake that they're, that they stop for when, uh, when Elsa catches up with them, you know, I'm sure that that lake now is, you know, you, there's planes flying over and there's probably, you know, maybe not telephone poles, but I bet you it doesn't look as untouched as it did back in 1963 or 1960. Oh gosh, I, I had, it's a, it's a national forest in California. Yeah. So it may actually still be relatively untouched. Maybe, 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 but you know, there's still going to be planes flying over at some point or, or something else going on there. And just, you know, there aren't those places much anymore. Thank you. I am going to stay in my house justified, I think. Tonight. I will try to enter my house justified at some point in my life. <laughs> Thank you very much, my friend. I told you these are always a joy to do. And uh, you gave me a very big gift by letting me sit and have to watch Peckinpah movies. The gift was all yours to give to me. Oh, well, vice versa. Thank you, my friend.